Amen. Thank you all for the uh, great job you did there. Kids, you did a wonderful job and uh, giving that Christmas story. And the youth, it's always hard for a youth to be involved in stuff like this because they're too cool sometimes. Amen. But uh, they did a good job. Amen. I appreciate that. And so, and I, I think we got our fill of the Christmas story. We had it read to us from Matthew and Luke. And, uh, and so I, you know, of course I have it in my notes here, but at the same time, I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing to you. But uh, thinking of the theme that I just got out of this, and of course, I didn't uh, line up the special music. I didn't line up how the play was going to go and so forth. Um, but uh, it just seems like it just came down to, especially with this last special, the treasure that you give is, is me. Uh, you know, when you look at the wise men, and that's really what I was going to talk about tonight a little bit is three gifts to give to Jesus, three gifts to give to Jesus, and they all revolve around you and what you give. Uh, he, he's not looking for material things from us today, even though we do give those kind of things, but uh, the things that are immaterial are far more important to the Lord today, and that's what he's really wanting from us. And here you have the wise men. We know the story, of course. We've been going through this in the book of Daniel, studying on Wednesday nights, and knowing that the wise men really weren't there at Christ's birth as such. Uh, probably about a year later, they showed up. And, of course, we know that by studying uh, the scriptures and knowing that Herod had, uh, you know, wanted to kill all the children two years, year, two years of old and younger because he had diligently, uh, you know, inquired as to when the star appeared. And so we kind of deduced that Jesus Christ's birth was around 5 B.C. And, of course, Herod died in 4 B.C. The wise men would have been there just after the birth of Christ. And these men came from the east. Now, these wise men, they were looked at as, of course, religious men. They were kind of like magicians. They called them the Magi, the, uh, the, uh, the, the people of that day that would divine and they would tell the king things and... They had much power. In fact, many, many people talk about these three wise men as being we three kings of Orient are. And it's not so far off because they had such power they could sway. They could actually overturn kingdoms by the things that they would say and do. And so they had great power. So it's interesting when these three wise men came to this little place called Bethlehem to give homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that way back in Daniel... Chapter 9, Daniel prophesied of the coming Messiah. And these men came from the area that Daniel was at. And of course, Daniel, the passage of scripture that uh, had all that in there, was actually written in Aramaic. Uh, it was written in the Chaldean language back from Babylon. And these men would have understood that language and they would have known that it would have been a part of their learning. Not that any other language had been a problem to them. They probably knew many, <laughs> you know. But it's interesting that here they were, coming from a far-off land, over 300 miles of travel, and they came to talk to Herod about this uh, Messiah, and Herod himself, who lived in the area, had no clue what was going on. In fact, he had to inquire of his scribes and say, is this true? And he went and told them to go search, and of course they found out that this Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. 
And so the wise men went there, and of course Herod wanted them to come back and tell them what they had found, and the Lord warned them, don't go back there, leave a different way, and then Herod got very, very angry, and that's when he decided to kill all the babies from two years old to newborn to make sure that he got this Messiah because he didn't want this king. He didn't want his power taken from him, but of course, God is greater than Herod, and so he preserved him. They went to Egypt for a short time until Herod died in 4 BC, and then an angel told Joseph he could bring them back, and that's when they went back to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus Christ grew up. And so what a great story that is, to see the providential preservation of God, to see these men that were powerful in their own nation, who had power to overthrow kingdoms, to turn the royalty uh, to whatever they wanted, to divine and to tell uh, the kings what they ought to do. And yet they came and humbled themselves and brought gifts to this little baby in Bethlehem because they believed what the Bible said. They believed a Messiah would be born. And they were truly wise and they, they knew the time. They knew that it was coming. And then the Lord sent a star to guide them. And so... I want to look at this just a little bit. I'll read you one passage of scripture to start here in Matthew 2, verse 11. It says, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. So there you know, it was no longer in a stable. They were actually in a house at this point. And it says, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they came with their treasures to give gifts to Jesus Christ. And so these treasures, I just want to look at this a little bit, these gifts that they were going to give. Um, it was important, the, the choosing of these gifts is a reason why the Lord told us these three particular gifts. In fact, it wasn't three wise men, it was three gifts, amen. So the song, I'm okay with it, we three kings, but it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible there were three kings. It just says there were three gift, kind, kinds of gifts. And I'm sure it wasn't just a little piece of gold. I'm sure they, they really gave them a lot. Uh, but the first thing I understand here is, is that the gifts came from a worship of Christ. They worshiped him. It says there in Matthew 2, verse 11, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. This is so important. They, they knew this to be so true that this was the Messiah that they actually worshipped this little child that was born just short time ago. They believed it was such a, a conviction that they actually worshipped the child. You only worship that which is worth something to you. Uh, we, we worship what we redeem as worthy. Amen? And I think we worship because we deem him worthy to be worshipped. And I'm not saying we do. That's your particular. Do you truly Humble yourself. Some people worship money. Some people worship career. Some people worship chapter 5. The last verse is, my little children selves from idols. Why would you have to tell a Christian not to worship idols? Because he wasn't just talking about you know, idols of stone and wood and things like that. He was talking about idols of the heart. He was talking about things that become more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is worthy to be worshipped. In fact, in Revelation 4, verse 11, it says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Think about this. You're a creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he made all things. And you know what? He made that, that he could get pleasure out of your life. Your life is not for you. Your life was created for him. You're created for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he, these gifts were a sign of their worship. They gave them to him because they worshiped Christ. Also, number two, the gifts came out of their treasures. I thought this is an interesting choice of words here. In verse 11, it says, When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, there's a place where they kept their treasures that they opened up. And within this place where the treasures were, they pulled out certain things and they gave those things to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen? You know something? The greatest gifts that you're going to give the Lord Jesus Christ are things that you are going to take out of your treasures. And where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. See, really, you're going to give them something from your heart. That's how we worship Christ. That's how we give good gifts to him. It's got to be from the heart. It can't just be a religious ritual. It can't just be through, well, this is what's expected of me. I'm going to do this. <laughs> Everything we do for Christ, and I hope that the young children, as, as they learn to serve the Lord in these kind of ways, that they'll also learn to do these things from the heart. They'll do this because they love him, and they want to do something for him, and they want to show people what Jesus Christ is like and what Jesus Christ accomplished uh, for them 2,000 years ago. Millions of people did not make that journey that year. These few men did. Because Jesus was worth the treasure of their time, the treasure of their energy, the worth of the cost of traveling, the experiencing difficulty along the road, and even danger as they traveled down that road. He was worth all of that. He was worth all of it. It's amazing today we talk about Jesus and you know what, what we will do for him is many times very little. If it costs us even the little bittest thing, you know, we don't do it. Well, you know, I don't have time. Well, you know, I just don't feel up to it. Well, you know, it's just, you know, the roads are too dangerous. And I'm not saying drive on slippery roads on the number two deer foot, amen. I'm saying be smart. But folks, sometimes it's also an excuse. It's an excuse not to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that we need to learn that if we're truly going to give something from Christ, it has got to be from the heart. And if it's from the heart, you'll be like these wise men. They came. It didn't matter the distance. It didn't matter the time. It didn't matter the cost. It didn't matter the danger. All those things didn't matter because it came from their heart they wanted to meet this Christ. They wanted to go and pay homage to him. They wanted to worship him because they felt in their heart that he was worthy of that worship. These gifts were also presented to Christ. I notice what it says here. It also says when they opened up their treasures, they presented unto him. Presented. You see, in life, nobody can drag something out of you for the Lord. 
You've got to make that choice to present yourself. That's why even this morning I was talking about in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, you're the one that has to present it. Now the preacher can preach it. I can, I can, I can motivate it. And the people around you can motivate it. But I'm going to tell you something. That presentation has to come from your heart. You have to go to him. Don't look around to the person next to you. You've got to say, hey, I want to give my life to the Lord. I, I want to present something to him. I want to give my time and energy. I want to give these things to the Lord. I want to do something for him. I, I want to be a part of his plan that we we're living in in this time, in this age. I want to re reach souls for Christ. I want to reach my family for the Lord. That is presenting yourself to the Lord. Amen. Amen. There's three things that were presented here. Gold. Gold. This is the treasure of subjection. And I'll explain to you why. The gold is a gift revealing the divine. In the scripture, when you go to the Old Testament and you go to the tabernacle, all of the furniture within that tabernacle were covered with gold. Uh, the, the candlestick itself was made out of pure gold. Beaten gold, the Bible says. It was beat into shape, just like Jesus was beaten for us. Amen? But that gold is a picture of the divine. If you look at the outside of that tabernacle, it was simply just badger skins. I mean, how glorious is that? <laughs> it was really not, nothing special. You'd say, well, it looks like a tent to me. But man, you go on the inside, and you know what you see? Gold. Gold. Jesus Christ, the Bible says that there is nothing that you would see of him that would draw you to him, that he would be something special. But I'll tell you something, in that heart was pure gold. He was the divine. He was God himself. Jesus Christ came and he was God. The Bible tells us, Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. And when we're talking about God with us, we're not talking some romanticized idea of God being with us. We are talking about literally God is now with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. If you don't believe that, you're not saved. Amen. You can't be saved. How can, how can an angel die on a cross and redeem your sin? How can a man go to the cross and pay for your sin and redeem you? There's no way. Redeem means to be purchased. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the purchase price, the redemption price of his life for our life. That's why the book of Psalms says, my God hath redeemed me. Amen. He redeemed me. I'm not owned by no angel. I'm not owned by just any man. I'm owned by Jesus Christ himself. He paid the price. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. I am redeemed by God. Amen. I'll tell you, if you want to be saved today, that's the first thing you've got to get through your head. That Jesus Christ just isn't a man. He just isn't an angel. But this is God in the flesh. The incarnate God took upon him and robed himself in flesh so that he could die a man's death to pay a penalty that you owed. Boy, our God is good to us. Jesus is 100% God. But you know also, he took upon himself 100% man without the sin nature. No sin in him. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ, what you're seeing there is a man 
that man was created to be. If we would just follow Christ, that's exactly what God created in its perfection. That's what we would have been. But of course, we're not God. <laughs> we're man, though. And now we have God in our hearts if we receive Christ as our Savior. And he wants to work out his life through us so we can follow after the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself a form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And the Bible says he became obedient, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, this wasn't just no normal God-man. This was no normal situation. God showed us something. He came from the highest level of heaven, and he went down to the lowest level of man. He started in the thrones, by the throne room in all the accolades and glory, and he gave up all that reputation. He didn't come around and say, hey, hey, treat me right because, hey, I'm God around here. <laughs> he didn't say that one time. In fact, I was just thinking about this today, how these, uh, there was these um, Islamic uh, leaders that were saying, if you can prove to me that Jesus admitted that he is God, then I'll believe in him. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I can show you that Jesus said he was God, but I'm going to tell you that doesn't prove that he's God. In fact, uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, are you a man? You can tell me you're a man, but let me ask the people around you, is he a real man? You know, to prove that you're a real man, people are going to have to acknowledge that. I'm not talking man about gender. I'm talking about being a man as far as being a man. <laughs> Amen. How about being a pastor? Hey, I'm not going to be a pastor because I tell you I'm a pastor. You ask the people around me, they'll tell you if I am one. And if I am not one, then they won't know I'm one, and then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Do you understand that? See, folks, Jesus Christ didn't have to say anything that he was God. In fact, everybody around him knows that he is God because they see it in him. And, folks, he is God. And throughout the scriptures, the Bible says, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Amen. He wouldn't be taking anything away from God by saying, I'm equal with God. But you know what he said? He says, you don't need my witness. My father witnessed. In fact, three times when, when the father from heaven, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he witnessed that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Once at his baptism, once at his transfiguration, and the third time, right before he was crucified, and he said to his father while he was praying, he says, Father, glorify thyself. He said, Son, I have glorified myself in you, and I'm going to glorify myself again. Yeah. And what he meant was, in your life, son, I've glorified myself. They saw me through you, son. But I'll tell you something, where you're going right now, and you're going to that cross, I'm going to glorify myself in you again. Yeah. And Jesus knew what his father was saying. He knew that he had to go to the cross and die. But he also knew that when he did that, he was going to glorify his father in heaven. Oh, the fact that God came down and took upon himself the form of man and died in my place. What an awesome thing that is. Amen. 100% God. That's gold. Gold is also a gift honoring a king. 
When throughout the scriptures, you'll see even with Solomon in 1 Kings 9, 28, and they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. Gold was a gift that you'd bring to a king. Amen? Amen. He is our king. That's why I say if you're going to give the gift of gold, what you're doing is you're giving the gift of subjection. You're saying, Lord, you are my king. I am your subject. I'm no longer king of my life. You're the king of my life. You're the king of the world. Folks, I'm all for doing your best in this world to try to make it a better world, but I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to make much of a dent. The only one that can salvage this whole mess down here is Jesus Christ breaking through the clouds and as the king of glory, setting up his kingdom, kingdom of righteousness. And the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. He'll rule in righteousness and true judgment and true justice. He is the only king that can do anything for us. There's no leader on this earth that can do for us what Jesus Christ can. When you give gold, you're giving your subjection. You're giving him your life. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Folks, the Bible says in Luke 20, verse 25, when they tried to trick Jesus, should we pay taxes, Jesus? Should we give the government this money? (laughs) Because money was so important, you know. I love his answer. And he said unto them, whose superscription is on this coin? Well, that's Caesar. Then he says, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. Amen. You understand that? God doesn't need your, your coins. God needs your heart. If he redeemed you, he wants your heart. He wants you to give that to him. In fact, whose superscription is on you? Is it Caesar's? Is it some Hollywood star? Is it some sports hero? Well, whose superscription is on your life? I'm going to tell you something. It better be the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, he was, that we are to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Render, therefore, unto God those things that are God's. The next gift is frankincense. This is the gift of sanctification. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 37, it says, And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition, therefore, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. What he's talking about is the incense that they were making up. It was a special recipe that they would use in the tabernacle to burn upon the altar of incense within the tabernacle tent walls. And when they would do that and light it up, they would take fire from off the brazen altar and they would light that incense and it would fill up the whole tent. And it was, he says, I don't want any other place on earth smelling this way except for this tabernacle. He was serious about that. Because the tabernacle is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it's doing is, when Jesus Christ, it's kind of like when Noah got off the ark, and God says, guess what? (laughs) The imaginations of man's heart are evil continually from their youth. It hasn't changed. 
I look at his heart before the flood. I look at your heart after the flood. And the heart is the same as it was after, as it was before. But you know what Noah did? He took some animals and he began to burn them upon the altar. And the Bible says that he, God took a whiff of that. And he says, now I'm pleased. Why was that? That's because that was picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. It was picturing the sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross 2,000 years up the road. And that's what happened that day. We need to understand there is no pleasing God apart from Christ. He says, this is my son. In him, I am well pleased. He says it again. This is my son. Hear ye him. The second time. The third time was, glorify yourself. I have and I will. Amen. There's only one way to please God. And that is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to please God. And that is number one, getting born again because Jesus Christ paid for your sin. Oh, you can take your religion and throw it out. It means nothing without Christ. Your baptism means nothing without Christ. <laughs> your, your whatever you do, whatever you do, it means nothing without Christ. You need to turn completely to him and say, Lord, you are the only thing that pleases God. You are the measuring stick. And I haven't even reached to the bottom of the stick. We, we're so proud sometimes we think that we're going to walk before God and try to convince him how good we are. <laughs> Folks, when you measure yourself beside that cross, you haven't even hit the bottom rung. Amen? That's why for salvation, you need to turn to Christ. That is the only thing that pleased the Lord. That's the only thing that pleased God. It's the only thing that satisfied the wrath of God was the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for sin. You can't do it. You can't exchange your goodness for the sin. You're like, a, you're, you're like a guilty convict standing in the courtroom. And he says, well, guess what? Because of what you did, the sentence is death. And then you try to barter with him and say, hey, I'll try to be a better person. You're not getting it here. For what you have done, there is a death penalty. You have to face this death penalty. Hey, but I'll try harder. You're not getting it here. There is a sentence pronounced upon this crime and the crime demands death for the wages of sin is death and death is separation when you die physically you're separated from this physical world but if you die that second death you are separated from god forever oh you don't want that well i'm going to try real hard and you fail there's only one thing that will satisfy god in relation to your soul, and that is death. And that's why Jesus came to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That pleases God. He takes a big whiff of that. That pleases me. You take your little religion. You take your little things that you can do. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing, God. He says, that is nothing. You better come to my son. You better come through him. You better trust in what he did. Because if there's this much of you in your salvation, I'm sorry, I cannot accept you. 
It's got to be all Him. All Him. A lot of people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but then what? (laughs) Well, I believe in Jesus, but I also, sorry, that's where you don't have it. Don't think for a second you can mix yourself in with the Son of God. It's either all him or it's nothing. There's no mixture here. You're not coming to God partially on your your merits and partially on Christ. It's 100% on his merit. The perfect son of God. Amen. Oh, can I encourage you tonight to offer the gift of frankincense. Offer the gift to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm tired of giving you myself. I want to give you Christ through me. I'm going to receive Christ as my Savior, and then I'm going to give myself to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that ever pleases God. For without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So frankincense, letter C. We have, or the third one, sorry, it's my C. It's not your C. (laughs) Myrrh, myrrh. This is the gift of sacrifice. The gift of sacrifice. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We know that when he died, Nicodemus came, and he wanted the body of Jesus off that cross. You know, it was a big deal for him to do that. Joseph Arimathea gave up his tomb, a rich man's tomb. The Bible prophesied that in the book of Isaiah. He'll be buried among the rich. There came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night. Remember John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, lest thou be born again, thou shalt not see the kingdom of God. Something tells me he got born again. (laughs) Amen. And he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then, they, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as a manner of the Jews is to bury. Myrrh was a perfume they would put on the dead bodies to disguise the smell because they thought he was going to begin to smell. But guess what? Jesus Christ didn't. In fact, he came up out of the grave. Amen. Mary, shortly before Jesus Christ went to the cross as well, she broke alabaster box over Jesus Christ and anointed him. Judas got all upset about that thing, and man, you could have, you could have, you know, sold that and given that money to the poor. And Jesus said, "The poor you will always have with you." He says, "But you won't have me." She says, he said, against my burying, she has done this. Against my death. Folks, there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of charity you can do. But folks, there's nothing more than glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater thing. Now we know that he's been in the grave. We know that he went to the grave. But we also know that he resurrected from the grave. 
And today, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that this man continueth ever, making intercession for us. You're wondering, did Jesus continue to be a man? <laughs> did he shed the nature of man when he went up to glory? Well, folks, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that he went back to become Michael the Archangel. <laughs> we know that's not true. And I feel for those folks because they have been deceived because they're not following the scripture. But Jesus Christ did not become an angel when he went up to heaven. <laughs> Jesus didn't even take upon himself the same former form that he had before, though he maintained 100% of his godhood. The Bible says that he now holds on himself that nature of man, and he's going to have that on him forever. The Bible says that one day when we'll see him, we'll look upon him and we'll see the scars in his hand. He will ever be our king and our example. He'll always be the one that was a mediator between God and man. <laughs> he is the one that bridged the gap between a holy and visible God to a visible sinful people. And he came from heaven, the Bible says, that the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Yet the Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ came to give you life. But you know what? You're going to have to die to yourself. Any person that gets saved, they have to understand what myrrh is. They have to understand that you need to recognize what Jesus did for you. He died and was buried. He suffered greatly for you. Just like Mary, when she anointed Jesus, against my burying, she did this. Oh, that honored him. <laughs> he just said, you stay away, man. What she did here, you can't even understand. She gave that expensive perfume and perfumed him that had filled up the whole room. <laughs> you see, that's what the Lord wants from your life. He wants you to give such glory to the Lord Jesus Christ that it fills the room. It ought not be a secret that you're a child of God. It ought not be a secret. You ought to be that one that takes out of your treasures and gives to the Lord Jesus Christ your subjection, your sanctification, and ultimately your sacrifice. See, there's a message here for the lost. There's a message here for the saved. If you're lost, can I tell you Jesus is God. Jesus is king, whether you like it or not. You will bow, one way or another. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name, at the, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I don't care how much you don't like Jesus. I don't care how much today you say, well, I don't got time for God. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for the things of God. There's going to be a day he'll make you have time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way,